Oh man, what an awesome week. When you look up here and you see the stage, um, if you're kind of new with this, if you're watching online, it doesn't normally look like this. Um, it won't look like this next week, but we wanted to leave it up as kind of a reminder and just celebration because, man, what a phenomenal, it's amazing what God can pack into a week. Um, coming together, getting all this put together, and you guys coming up and volunteering and using your gifts to reach out to our kids. Like she said, like 75 to 80 different kids here this week. And some of you used your gifts in ways that you go, I know how to do this, and we're thankful for that. And some of you said, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and work in an area that I'm not accustomed to. And we had people that worked with our preschoolers that told me, it's like, I don't normally do this, and I get it. And I led the Bible story for all of our kids. Um, that's not always my element. The first night, I may have had a scroll written out in Greek to teach them, um, because that's what nine-year-olds need. But it's taking everybody to do that. And what we saw was pretty amazing. Um, just watching those kids worship, even looking over and seeing them still doing the motions. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, it's great. And it's amazing what else God can pack into a week. I just about decapitated a couple of toes this week. Um, I got thrown up on by a child. Not my favorite thing. Um, but this week also involves some other things. Tuesday morning, I, I got a phone call, and some of you knew George Whitcomb. Some of you, or a lot of people are new and maybe didn't have the chance to meet him. He was living in assisted living, but he was a member at South Point, and his wife called and said, hey, he's, he's not doing well, and went over and spent some time with the family and then went back, and it seemed like maybe it was getting a little bit better, and then Tuesday night, I went back, and it was kind of apparent, no, he's, he's, he's not getting better. Um, he made it until Thursday morning. Thursday morning, I'm kind of a creature of habit whenever I'm preparing a message. And, you know, last week we kind of looked at God's omnipotence and we talked about some attributes of God. This week we were going to look at some more because it turns out there's a lot of attributes of God. But Thursday morning, um, I've kind of got a thing with our media team. I'm going to be done with my outline so they can work on stuff. And I was trying to get things done. I got a phone call and said, hey, he's, he's passed away. And put everything down and went, spent time with the family and this job has some job requirements that are a little different. Um, I fully know that that's part of what I do and will do. But it's also one that I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to that. And last Sunday, we talked about one of the attributes of God being his omnipotence. And I remember when I was writing that message out, um, I don't know if I even fully knew I was preaching to myself at the time, but I said, hey, one of the things that's comfort, comforting about God being all-knowing everywhere at all the time is you're going to go through something that's difficult. Um, in the future, you don't know what it is yet. It could be a loss of a job. It could be the loss of someone that you love. And we said that, hey, God is with you, and he's at the same time already waiting for you in that moment to comfort you. And I didn't realize I was going to be preaching to myself because Thursday I went, okay, I'm, I'm here and oh, so were you. And I just, I needed God to comfort me a little bit. And so this is typically what does it. I just went back to my office and just started reading. And then I text the staff and said, hey, I'm not going to do the message that I was going to do. Um, it's going to kind of talk about what God taught me on Thursday. Um, and then 
started writing things out and just didn't realize how comforting God was going to be to me because he was already waiting on that moment. Like when I go to the Bible, if I need to be challenged, if I'm, if I'm feeling like, hey, I need a little bit of a biblical workout, um, I go to Romans, and that's what I read. It's my favorite book. Uh, when I need comfort, I go to the book of John. The book of John is this beautifully written gospel. And in it, in John chapter 10, Jesus is going to talk about being a shepherd to us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I hope it's just kind of a comfort to you and a reminder to you that you have a Savior that genuinely cares enough about you to love you and lay his life down. So in John chapter 10, we'll start in verse 7. It says, so, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so as Jesus starts this off, we kind of have to understand he's making a cultural reference. Um, and he's going to be talking about sheep and shepherds. Now, most of us hopefully know what a sheep is. Um, hopefully we're not so far removed from this culture that you don't know what it looks like. Um, but understanding he's about to make a lot of cultural references that are agriculture related, and we don't all have an ag background. Um, if he were to do it in 2021, Jesus would still make a cultural reference because Jesus did a lot of that as he taught. Uh, he taught in parables and used stories that people could understand, but today he probably wouldn't use an ag-related one. It'd probably be something social media related. Um, you know, I'm the great influencer or something like that. But he's going to make an ag reference, and he's going to be talking about sheep and shepherding. And as he starts, he says, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, most probably don't know exactly what he means by this. When Jesus said it to the people that were listening, they knew exactly what he was talking about because they knew what a sheep pen looked like. In ancient times, they would take rocks or some type of barricade and they would build a pen that these sheep would go in. That's where they stayed at night. If there was something going on and they needed to be herded inside of it, it would be this big pen, but it didn't actually have a gate. Like, we're in West Texas, or if you're watching online, hopefully you know what gates look like. Um, open, shut, that sort of thing. They didn't have that. Whenever they brought all of the sheep back into this pen, the gate was the shepherd. The shepherd would literally lay down in between that space, and he became the barrier from the safety of the inside of this pen to the reality that outside of this, there are some good things. There's pasture, there's water, there are also some bad things. There are predators, there are things that would come along and kill the sheep. And the shepherd literally became the bridge and the gate between those two worlds. His body separating those two things. And Jesus says, I'm that gate. You're the sheep. And there are things out there, and some of them are good. There's, there's things to do, there's, there's career, there's family, and everything like that. But there's also some things out there that are dangerous. There are things that would take your joy and your life away from you. And I am willing to put myself between you and those things. Jesus was saying, one, I will lead you. Just like he would 
a shepherd would do with the sheep, Jesus is going to say, hey, I am your leader. I am the one that if you follow, you will find life. At the same time, I will protect you. I will keep you from the things that are out there that would destroy you, that would harm you. He's the one that separates us from those two worlds. And as he continues on, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He says, All who came before me, some theologians really get it wrong and they, they say, well, he was talking about like Moses and the prophets because they were sinful people. He's not talking about that, but he is saying, hey, there were some things that came before me that were thieves and robbers. Like if you go back to the Old Testament, you find a number of things that attempted to pull God's people away from him. They were little G gods, not the big G, the little G gods. And you find a number of them in the Old Testament. There was one named Baal. He was a, he was a little G god of the Canaanites. And one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament involves these worshipers of Baal, these uh, followers of Baal, and a prophet named Elijah. I love it because I, if you've spent any amount of time around me, I have a, a, a little bit of a tinge and bent toward sarcasm. And uh, in that story, I, I found a friend in Elijah. Because all these prophets of Baal, there's hundreds of them, they come and they're like, hey, let's, let's have a little competition. Let's see, uh, let's see whose God's more powerful. We're going to build two altars. We're going to pray, and Baal's going to set this one on fire, or your God can set that one on fire. And so they all get together, and they start crying out to Baal. And uh, it's not, a, no fire just magically appears. Um, so they cry out louder, nothing happens. Um, it gets to the point, because in their forms of worship, uh, blood was such a thing, they start to cut themselves, and still nothing happens. And then there's Elijah, who's like the only one there for God, and he's just having a good day. And he's like, hey, maybe... Talk louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Um, hey, everybody at the same time, maybe he's sleeping. And the best part of the story, he goes, hey, may, maybe he's on the toilet. Like that's in the Bible. He goes, maybe, maybe your God's, you know, taking a break and he'll be back later. And, and nothing happens because Baal was a false god. Um, and then Elijah says, hey, you know what, just for the heck of it, pour water all over the altar. And then he prays to God. God consumes the thing. And uh, then all the prophets were gotten rid of. And so, yeah, there were things like Baal in the Old Testament. There was another known as Dagon. He was a god of the uh, uh, Amorites. and or, No, he was the Philistines. And there was a point where the Israelites lost the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines captured it. Uh, this unbelievably holy thing within that culture. So holy that you couldn't touch it. It literally was carried um, with poles run through the top of it because you touch it and you die. And uh, the Philistines got a hold of it, and they thought, hey, this would be a good offering to Dagon. And so they took it to his temple. They had this huge statue of him, and they put it before him. And they came back the next morning, the statue's lying face down in front of the ark. Um, and they, they thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe the AC kicked it over. And so they put the statue back up, and they come back the next morning, and it's toppled again, and its hands are crushed. Um, and, and then they started experiencing things that God could do. Um, and I laugh about some of those, but there's some things in the Old Testament that came to be robbers and thieves like Moloch, which required child sacrifice. There were things before Jesus came that most certainly were trying to pull God's people away from him. But when he says this, he says, all that came before me are thieves and robbers. He didn't say were. He said are. He's talking about in his present time. What I love about Jesus is he is not a timid human. 
he would call people out, and he would do it with them standing right next to him. And he did it early and often when it came to the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, the religious leaders of that day. When he's talking, and just about everywhere that Jesus went, they followed and just got angry because he kept calling them out. And he says, hey, those guys are like thieves and robbers. And he chose those words with intention. It wasn't like some phrase or something that he said. Those are two separate words in the original language, and they carry ideas with them. When he says they're thieves, what he's talking about is thievery involved deception. He said, there are people that are trying to deceive you. They are trying to teach you something that is not of the kingdom of God. They are trying to make you think that you just pretty up the outside and that's fine, but inside you know your heart is hurting. And he said, there are people that are trying to deceive you. And if you skip forward to 2021, there are certainly still thieves in the world. There are people that try to deceive us and pull us away from the truth. There are times where you hear, you know, a gospel, but it's not the full gospel. And it's, oh, just be a good person and help yourself enough and that'll get you to heaven. I heard one guy say God's like a pool of water and all the religions of the world are like diving boards. And they all, they're different diving boards, but they all dive in the same pool. And that's just not what scripture teaches. But there's a lot of people trying to deceive as we find ourselves in a very intellectual world that's super smart Um, because smart people didn't exist before now. Uh, I read so many things that go, well, people have just misinterpreted the Bible, and and I've got it figured out. And it's like 2,000 years of really smart people have been talking about Scripture. Like, we need to understand, like, Martin Luther was pretty intelligent. Uh, John Newton, who kind of came up with that whole gravitational thing, uh, was also a theologian. Like, we, we suddenly find ourselves thinking that we figured it out, and yet we, God's truth has been the same truth for a long time. But there's a ton of things in the world today that exist where it's just trying to deceive you. And you're going to see that a lot more and more. But he doesn't just say thieves. He also says there's also robbers. Robbers carried with it the notion of violence. Like if you think of the story that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan, this guy is just simply going along a path and these robbers pounce on him, beat him to within an inch of his life, leave him for dead, not caring a thing about his personal life. This wanted his stuff. And this is what robbery involved back in the day. It was a very violent act. People didn't care about human life and they just wanted something and it usually brought violence towards another person. And he says, hey, these are what the false teachers and these are what the other leaders are trying to do. Like they're bringing violence and sadly even today you still see that. There's some really, really weird cults out there. Um, there's some really abusive church people. It may not be violence physically, but um, today's world, I mean, there's a really popular podcast right now talking about church abuse, and I hate that that's a thing. Um, I never want to see that, but there are false teachers out there that are abusive in that way. And Jesus says, hey, there are thieves and there are robbers, but I love that he says, but the sheep did not listen to them. Sheep, you, if you've never been around them, being called a sheep is not something that's super popular today, right? <laughs> um, and it's there for a reason. Sheep are very dumb animals. <laughs> if you've never had the wonderful opportunity to be around them, 
Uh, they're not the most intelligent creature that God created. Um, given their own ability, they will eat themselves to death. Um, I had a friend who we showed lambs growing up, and his got into the feed barn and literally ate itself to death, and he got to experience what that's like. Um, if you've been around sheep, you know that they not a lot of defensive things on sheep. Uh, they're not known for their sharp claws or anything like that. Um, there's a reason they need a shepherd. They need to be taken care of. They can be dumb. We can be dumb sometimes. But I love this. He says the sheep didn't listen to that. The sheep knew that there was something greater. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He says, through me, only through Jesus Christ, not through us bettering ourselves and figuring something out, not by coming to a place, a church that's not what saves us. He says, it's only through me. If you enter through me, if you enter through the door that I am, you'll be forgiven. You'll find eternal life. He says, you'll be able to go in and out and find pasture. That was a common phrase in Old Testament or in, in biblical days. To go in and out, it was a common expression, and it was understood it brought with it freedom. The freedom to go and find pleasure and experience, and freedom to come back and know that there's safety. And Jesus says, hey, you come to me, and you're going to find that freedom. You're going to find that you can go out and live your life and live it in such a way that bringing God glory is a good thing for you. And you'll be able to come back in and find the love and protection that I provide through myself. And he looks at these people and he says, hey, in a world of thieves and robbers out there, there's something better. And he gets to verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love that verse. Years ago when we knew we were going to be parents, we start putting a nursery together. Um, some of you have been there. It's a lot of fun. Sort of. Um, I learned a couple things about that. One, I'm, I'm really not good at putting up um, trim on, on a wall. Um, there were some angles that yelled a lot. Um, I also learned that I don't have the patience that my wife does because some of her decorating skills, I'm like, I would lose my mind. Um, but when we got close to being done, she said, hey, I want to I put a verse up in his room and I want you to pick it. Um, and it was this verse. Now, this verse starts a little awkward to put in your newborn child's room. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, sleep tight, buddy. Good night. Um, that, it, it, it's kind of a weird one to start with, but it ends really well. When he says the thief, he had mentioned thieves and robbers earlier, but here he's probably talking about Satan. He, he, Jesus is acknowledging, hey, there is a presence out there, and its desire for you is not healthy. Its desire for you is to steal your joy, to rob you of that each and every day. It is to steal your happiness and introduce pain and things that don't always have to be there. His desire is to steal your security and let angst and worry fill your life when it shouldn't be there. And Jesus is acknowledging, hey, you need to know that that's out there. His desire is to kill all of those things. To kill and rob you of all your joy. To kill and take away every bit of happiness. To kill every bit of security that comes through him. The, he acknowledges that. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And if it ended there, it probably wouldn't have been the one I put on my kid's wall. But I love when he says, I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. See, Christ came to restore the opportunity for us to even have life. Sure, we're alive. We know that. Spiritually, though, there was a time where you were dead. Spiritually, there was a time where you didn't know what that love and grace and mercy felt like. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, as this shepherd, I'm willing to lay down my life for you so that you can have life. But not just life. Not just happiness. Like, when it comes to happiness, that's, that can change. Like, we can go from happy to unhappy pretty quickly. But the way that it goes is, okay, we're unhappy, we're unhappy, we're unhappy. Something happens and we go, you know what? I'm happy now. And there's that line. And Jesus goes, I'm not trying to get to that line. I came that you could blow that line out of the water. Because the word abundantly, it carries kind of a financial term to it. And it means a surplus. I've come that you've had life, not to just get to the minimum. I've come that you could have life abundantly overflowing. That you could have blessing. That you could enjoy life knowing that it comes through Jesus Christ. He says, yes, there is something out there, and its desire is to destroy you, but I have overcome it, I have beat it, and I have come that you can have life in absolute surplus. The world offers hopelessness, hopelessness, hopelessness. That's a lot of syllables. Jesus offers a surplus of it. Jesus offers a surplus of life. Jesus comes and says, hey, while that is there, and you need to acknowledge that it's there. You need to use the gospel to push back against it. I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly, completely, to the full. And then he continues on, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd uh, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd." As he continues on, he says, I am the good shepherd. It's one of his I am statements. And I think he actually sold himself a little short. He's, I think, beyond a good shepherd. He's the best shepherd. Because he says, I would lay my life down for the sheep. Now, being a shepherd, you know that it's going to involve protecting sheep. You know, there's things that are out there that would harm them. Shepherds just carry a staff to move sheep and to fend off animals. I've got to do this to an extent. Like, I, I have an ag background. I showed sheep growing up. And uh, we didn't have wolves, but we had coyotes. And sometimes coyotes would get close. And, you know, I, I got to protect the sheep. And I, I liked the way I did it. I didn't have a shepherd staff. I had what we would call a 308 um, <laughs> with a good scope. And, and, man, being a shepherd's fun. But if, if they suddenly got in close, and there were a lot of them, and it was between my life and that sheep's life. Sorry, bud. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm in the, I'm in the house. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks at these sheep and goes, I would lay my life down for you. So he's beyond a good shepherd. Jesus said, I will pay it all. 
He said some people won't do that. He starts to talk about these hired hands, people that were hired to be shepherds, and they really just in it for the money. And they would see wolves coming and go, I'm out of here. Um, and a lot of people say he's making reference to, to, to pastors in this. Because, like, I am, Jesus is the good shepherd. I am a sh- under-shepherd to the shepherd. Uh, the, the word pastor in the Bible, when it's translated, it, it gets some roots from the word shepherd itself. Um, and I know that that means there are things that I'm called to do. I'm called to, to lead and to love and to, to shepherd this congregation. Uh, and I love that. Um, and that takes time. I remember when I first got here, I had friends that had been pastors for a long time, and they would tell me, it's like, hey, it's going to take a little bit before they see you as their pastor. And I, I get that because I didn't, I didn't know stories. I didn't know things that were going on in people's life. And I'm thankful for the time that I've got to be here. I, I, I told first service, like, I felt like I'm, I arrived at a spot of being the pastor when I started. I, I knew what cars you drive <laughs> so I could wave to people in town. Um, and, and like point out, oh, I know so-and-so's here because I've seen their vehicle. Like it just comes with spending time with people. But Jesus says, hey, there, there's some people out there when, when tough times come, they're, they're running. And I don't, I don't ever want to do that. Like I love that God's called me to this place. And so I, I would hope I would never flee from things. Like I, I don't ever want to run away from Scripture. I've told you that a lot. There's, if it's in here, we're going to talk about it. If I read it and go... I don't like that. The Bible wins. <laughs> and we're going to do that as long as I'm here. I don't want to run away from hardship. Uh, whenever Allison messaged me months ago and said, hey, will you lead the Bible story for our kids? I'm telling you, that is not my element. Um, it, it terrifies me at times. But I went, you know what? I need to be doing that. I'm their pastor as well. Um, I don't want to run away from things like this week where, yeah, there's, there's some hardship, but I know that God's called me to that, and I know that he's equipped me for that. Like, I want to be more like the shepherd, not the hired hand. And Jesus says, I know the sheep, and the sheep know me. A lot of times when we think of shepherds, um, there's an interesting role in biblical times. Shepherds were not highly educated. You didn't go to, to school and get a degree in shepherding. Uh, you just learned it. Uh, a lot of times they were illiterate. They smelled like sheep all the time. You could tell who shepherds were. But I love that in Scripture, who's, who are the first people that hear about the birth of Jesus? A bunch of uneducated, illiterate shepherds out in the field. Heavens rip open, this orchestra flies out and starts singing the praises of Jesus, and the shepherds run off to see him and worship him as well. Um, but shepherds were really good at their jobs. Sheep look alike um, a lot of times. They, they they're kind of carbon copies of each other, but they have personalities. And shepherds learn the personality of the sheep in their flock. And they knew, hey, some of these, they, they kind of got it. I don't, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time with them. They're, they're well-trained. They're obedient. They knew some of them had fears. They knew some of them didn't like elevation, and they lived in an area where it was very rocky, and you'd have these elevation changes. And they knew, hey, some of these sheep are going to need a little more comfort to get up this mountain because they don't do well with heights. They knew some of them were scared of shadows. And so they made sure not to lead them in areas where there was the potential that they might freak out. And they always had that one sheep, I'm sure. Like, if you've ever had animals or been around them, you may have seen a video that came out not super long ago. There was a shepherd. There was some, like, like crag in the ground, and a sheep was stuck in it. And you watch him, like some of you have seen this. He, he pulls the sheep out, and the sheep makes, like, two big bounces and is happy and right back into the hole. <laughs> like, uh, there's always that one, um, and the shepherds knew, man, it's, 
Some of them I might have to love a little bit more. And these shepherds knew the personality of their sheep. And Jesus says, I know your personalities. I know the things that you struggle with. I know the areas that cause you angst. I know your strengths. I know the things that you're good at. And he says, hey, I know all of these things about you because I am the good shepherd. But it also says the sheep know him. We know his voice. You could sometimes have multiple shepherds, but sheep knew the voice of their shepherd. They knew that voice leads me to food, leads me to water, keeps me safe, and I will listen to that voice. We know Christ's voice. We hear his voice speaking in scripture, teaching us the way that we're to love, the way that we're to love children and love them well, the way that we're called to love our community and our neighbors as ourselves. We hear his voice in scripture. We hear him speak to us and prompt us through the Holy Spirit. We hopefully know his voice and hopefully we listen because just like that sheep and a shepherd, the things that he says to us they're not leading us to danger. They're not leading us to something that's going to be harmful. They're leading us away from it. And he says they know it. And then he gets to verse 16 and he says, And I also have sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Again, because it's very ag-related they knew exactly what he was talking about, but most of us know what a flock is. Um, you know, we go, that's, that's the group of animals. Within it, there are smaller divisions. You know, if you military background, you know, from army to, you know, a platoon type thing. Um, a fold was a smaller group within the flock. And Jesus says, hey, I, I, have, I have a fold. And he had talked about that a little bit earlier. I didn't read that portion, but... He was talking about the Israelites. Like Jesus came primarily when Jesus was teaching, he was speaking to the Jewish people, his people, God's chosen people. But I love that he says, hey, I have, I have sheep that aren't of this fold. They're of a different fold. And I'm thankful for that because he was talking about Gentiles. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say most of us are Gentiles. Maybe you have some Jewish background, but most of us, like I'm pretty much just complete Gentile. And he says, hey, I've got... I've got sheep in a different fold. And I'm going to bring them in to the flock. And he was talking about us. And if you looked forward into 2021, he would say, hey, I've got, I've got sheep in a different fold. And they're called, they call themselves Baptists. And I've got sheep of, of another fold, and they call themselves Church of Christ. i got sheep in crazy when the non-denominational people <laughs> and within those it doesn't matter the denomination if someone knows the Savior's voice if someone is in him he is going to bring all of those together one day one flock under one shepherd I can't wait for that day it's going to be funny <laughs> some people are going to go I didn't think anybody else would be here and we'll laugh about that <laughs> some of us will sit down and we'll finally know who was right when it came to interpretation of Scripture. And on that day, here's what I, I look forward to. If I'm wrong, if I sit down with Paul and he tells me, hey, the way you're looking at chapter 9 in my book of Romans, man, you were off on that. I'll go, okay, I'll admit it. 
and it's going to be okay because I'll be in heaven because I know the shepherd. And if he looks at someone else and goes, hey, he was right, I'm not going to go, told you so. (laughs) It ain't going to matter because they're going to be there too. God, through Christ, is going to bring all those sheep from all the different folds throughout all time. And there's going to be one flock with one shepherd, Jesus. He is a good shepherd. He looked throughout all of time, and he looked into the medieval ages and saw those people, and he looked into the Renaissance, and he saw those people, and he looked into the Reformation and saw those people, and he looked into the pandemic, and he saw those people. He looks here today, he sees us, and he said, I'm going to be your shepherd. I'm going to love you enough that I'm going to lay my life down for you. We celebrated that this week with our kids, and we said he is our foundation. He is such a good shepherd. I hope we rest in that this week. As we go out, whatever this week looks like for you, whether it's celebration, whether it's sorrow, know that we have a good shepherd that loves us and leads us well. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we know that your son is the good shepherd, that he laid his life down for the sheep. God, he says that any who enter by him will be saved. If you don't know what that looks like, if you don't know what it looks like to experience Christ's grace and mercy in your life, I want you to know this, he he loves you. And as he said, he loved you enough that he laid his life down to pay for our sin. Our sin that separates us from God, the scripture says that the price of our sin is death. And yet he loved us enough that he laid his life down that we could experience life. And it's only through him. If you've never made that personal, if you've never known what it feels like to be saved by Christ, I would encourage you to say, God, as best as I know how, I want to turn away from my old life. I want to follow you and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And in that instant, there is new life. There is salvation. And if you did that today, I, I really want to encourage you, come, come talk to me, put it on a connect card. We, we want to celebrate that. And whatever your week looks like, God, we know that you're there. God, I pray that we would just press into the comfort that you bring this week and always. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.